Hello and welcome to The Double Double. My name is David Dixon. And just like the last couple times, once again, Sunday night, um, we're running through this one a little solo, but this one's going to be a little bit different than the other ones. We've, I've kind of followed the, you know, talk about the games of the week, NFL, college football. Don't worry, we're still going to do that later in the week, but just wanted to throw out some observations, some things I've noticed, and some ideas that I've had just about the college football season and also the Major League Baseball playoffs because that has just gotten underway. We had a couple great wild card games, and the divisional series has gone off to a really good start. Kelly and I's Yankees are playing really, really good baseball right now, up 2-0, but in the AL, the, the Astros look like the team to beat. We talk about this a little later, but Garrett Cole is legitimately terrifying, and I haven't been that scared as a Yankee fan of an opposing team's pitcher since Cliff Lee when he was a member of the Phillies and the Texas Rangers. So, But, but I'll talk about baseball a little bit later, but I want to start this week with college football. So everyone loves to point blame at the NCAA and blame a whole lot of people for college football and really all of college sports problems. And it's unfair to just talk about all the problems college sports has because it does do a lot of good for a lot of kids. And it's kind of the the trendy, easy thing to do is just point out all the flaws in the NCAA, which there are plenty. You know, it's like any other organization or company or person or situation. Nothing is ever perfect. There's there's always room for improvement. And everyone who has an opinion on the NCA obviously would run it differently because that's how they think it should be. It, it should run instead of the way it is being currently run. But there are a lot of things that are an issue just in terms of the the play on the field, especially with college football. Because in the last decade, let's just say, there's been a major conference realignment. And we see this a lot of times in basketball where people think of the destruction of the Big East Basketball Conference, where we don't have the Syracuse-Georgetown games anymore, the Big East Mondays on, on ESPN. Now you're in these mega conferences where Rutgers and Maryland are in the Big Ten, where Syracuse and Boston College are in the ACC, and Colorado is in the Pac-12, and Nebraska is in the Big Ten. You know, all these schools really were had this opportunity to jump conferences and realign everything just because the money was so great. Because you had these conferences who were creating their own TV networks and renegotiating deals with ESPN and Fox and all these. TV, com- TV companies that could give them so much money that became so lucrative to play ACC football or SEC football that it just it didn't really matter about the other sports and it just became football number one and just the money was so was so great. But what that led to was these conferences are just so big and the difference in football compared to a sport like basketball or baseball where you can we see the miracle Cinderella teams all the time where you have a collection of juniors and seniors who've been there for a while 
understand how to play. They, they can make a run and, and come out of nowhere. In football, so much of it is just the recruiting and the size and just the talent where it is really rare to have teams that develop that come out of truly nowhere. And it's so hard to recruit in football the guys who can really make an impact on the field because no one plays as a freshman, basically, that so many people redshirt and it just takes years to get ready. In basketball or baseball, you, you can put together a, a collection of te- uh, a team and it's okay if you have a couple of good years and then you go back and you rebuild. In football, there's so much pressure on, on being good. And to be honest, there's way more scrutiny on football than than the other sports. So, so I had an idea. It's a kind of crazy idea. And I was talking to Coach Sass. We were, we were texting last last week after after our podcast about just different things going on, and we kind of came up with it together. But the idea is that these conferences are so big now that it's it's impossible for every team to be good. Now, when you look at this year in the Big Ten, or for years years in the past of Kansas football in the Big Twelve or Illinois in in the Big Ten, where you have these schools who are the bottom feeders who just get destroyed every year, but they're raking in all the money. But at the same time, it's these are games that these teams have to play, and in the back of my mind, like they have to put up a lot of points, but they also don't want anyone to get hurt because what these teams and these conferences really want the most is to make the college football playoff. And the playoff now is the most important thing in the sport. And it would make sense that these conferences would try to do more to give their best teams the best chance to make that playoff. Because if we get it to where like the Big 12 gets a playoff team in and they win the national championship, it's not just that Oklahoma won the national championship, it's that the Big 12 won the national championship. And I think that there is a, a kind of a radical way to to improve this system of just how there's just too many teams and it's and it's based on maybe the opposite of college football and that is and that is European soccer. So in Europe every soccer team they have obviously they have the collection of players under contract but what they can do for basically any player is they can loan them to another team. So if you have a so if you're Barcelona and you have a really good young player who is very talented, a lot of potential, but just probably won't play for your team this season because you are, because you're so good with such established players, you can basically send him, you can loan him to a team that in a lesser division who isn't as good, obviously, he would be able to play a lot and develop and get a lot of playing and experience so that he can not only help that team win, but that he can also develop as well. But the thing is, is that because you're loaning them to the player for as once the loan period's ended, that, that player comes back to you, that, that player that you're giving out is still a member of Barcelona, but he just plays for that other team in whatever division around the world. So so Barcelona could give him to the LA Galaxy and even though he's a play, he's playing for the LA Galaxy, he's still a Barcelona player. His contract is still controlled by Barcelona. And so 
obviously these teams come come to an agreement on who's paying the wages for the player, uh, whether it's going to be 50-50 or 25-75, whatever it is, they come to an agreement. But the contract stays with the loaner. So Barcelona, it's still, that player still plays for, for Barcelona and controls that contract. And so why don't this, why doesn't this happen in big time division one college football? Where if you look at a team this year where you have, you know, let's just look at, at the big 10, right? Cause I, cause I used the Purdue example beforehand. So Purdue is 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 one and four. They're really overmatched. You, you could also make the same case about about Rutgers. One and four, zero oh and three in conference. Really, really overmatched. Uh, it just doesn't make a lot of sense about why Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State and Wisconsin have to go and play these teams, right? Where. What would happen if Justin Fields goes and plays Rutgers and gets hurt? And you could say he could get hurt in anything playing football, but if he's getting hurt against Rutgers, that's like the worst case scenario because it's just not only hurting your team, it's it's hurting your conference in a in a meaningless game where everyone knows Ohio State's going to kill them. So why doesn't oh the Big Ten loan Rutgers out to another conference where Rutgers could a compete? win some games, which will help recruiting-wise, because it is really hard for these teams, if you're winning one Big Ten game every year, to be able to recruit and say to these high school kids, hey, come come to us and you have a chance to win. It's, in, instead, it's, hey, come to us and you can lose to, to Mich- you can help us lose to Michigan by 50 instead of 70. And, but why don't they, the Big Ten, because Rutgers would still be a Big Ten school, but to help Rutgers get better and maybe recruit better players and just get some winning enough to be in the Big Ten this year, they loan them to that conference for one or two seasons, whatever that agreement is. The max would probably two or two, would be two or three seasons. You loan them to that conference where they would be. So 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 now Rutgers would be in the would be in Conference USA. They would still get the agreement from the Big Ten network and get to say that, that you know they'd still be a part of the Big Ten, but they'd be playing in the Conference USA, which would also help the Big Ten because then there'd be fewer games. It would make the games more meaningful every week where it would be teams would have to play great teams, like the best match would have to happen back to back to back, which would be great for fans because you know if, if you're coming off a Michigan-Penn State game, do you really want to go see them play Rutgers? No, you want them to keep the mojo. You want another rivalry game. One of the best things about college sports is the rivalries. And these conferences are so big that it's so hard to like drop excitement when it's these teams are playing each other and they have no connection with one another. No regional connection, no history, not even sometimes not even like an academic connection. So I think this is a good idea. And it would also just help with those teams who are really struggling. Because then they can just work on getting better and trying to build something where then after the agreement, they can come back and hopefully they have better players who are used to winning, able to recruit some more, and then they can help the conference reach the ultimate goal, which is the college football playoff. And 
you know, if no team wants you. So, so let's say no team wants Kansas football, right? No team wants them. Guess what? Kansas, you're a part of the Big 12. You're going to get the money from the Big 10, for, from, from the Big 12 TV contract. You're going to get to wear the Big 12 thing on your jersey. You could still have the banner, but you're a football independent. You got to make your own schedule because you got to prove it. Because if not only if the Big 12 doesn't want you, but no one wants you, that means you're in serious trouble. And you'll be a football independent. You can play the other independents. You can figure out your own schedule. But that's kind of just what I'm thinking. I think it would be a really good idea because just just think about if Oklahoma didn't have to play Kansas when Baker Mayfield was there. Because that became a whole scandal. Not not scandal's too harsh. A whole talking point and critique of him as as a person, as a his personality. As, as, is he is he truly can, can he be a franchise quarterback because he talked a lot of trash and maybe have grabbed certain areas of body that people didn't like. Imagine if he never had to go play that game. That never would have been a talking point, and instead he got to go play instead another really good team and prove just how good he is, like he did against Ohio State. And I know there was controversy in that game too about the flag, but he played really well in that game. And I also hope now, obviously, the conferences and each team would have to agree to this and hopefully follow through with it. But because there'd be fewer conference games, it would just be the best conference opponents. It would allow for more non-conference games as well. So obviously I'm hoping that these teams go out and schedule harder because they feel like, Hey, just because the season's shorter, they, that they can go out and play more good non-conference opponents. But that B that, 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 it's just that, that each game would just mean so much more, even the, the non-conference ones, because then you can go out. If, if, if you know that you're basically only going to play eight conference games and they're all going to be battles, you might just say, hey, just to even prove that we're the best team in the country, let's go and play the best Pac-12 team. You know, if, if you're Penn State, let's go play USC week one and prove that, hey, and, and, and just prove that, that we're meant to be in the Big 12, that, that we deserve our spot. And there's obviously a huge risk that if, if as hard as that, that the harder conference play becomes, the easier non-conference play will be, that they'll start scheduling FCS schools or Division II schools and pay a lot of teams to come play them, which comes to my hopefully fail-safe, which is that the way college basketball has the Big 12 ACC challenge or the conference challenge where teams have to match up with each other, once teams know who's in, because there'll obviously be a hard deadline about when you have to kick out, or not kick out, loan out certain teams to other conferences, there'll be a hard deadline. So once that happens, we'll get the, the college football committee the same people who do the playoff will, will then look at each conference of the remaining teams and do we'll do two challenges. It'll be like the Big Ten SEC. So the college football playoff will match two Big Ten. We'll match a Big Ten and an SEC school that they want to see that matchup because these are supposed to be the experts, right? If they're choosing the playoff, they are the college football experts, so they can choose these best games. And then we'll do Pac-12, Big, Big 12. So we could get Texas against Washington. We can get Oklahoma, USC. We we can get the best matchups possible to make the college football experience so much better. Like people love the fact that Duke will play Kentucky in college basketball. 
as a non-conference game. As hard as the ACC is, Duke will play Kentucky. Now imagine if in football, you just got the best matchups all the time. It would make the idea of an undefeated season that much more glamorous and amazing because it would be so hard to go undefeated if Clemson in week one had to play Michigan or if Clemson had to play in the SEC. Like Imagine if Clemson had to start their season at LSU. I, that would be awesome. The ratings would be incredible. It would be the talk of the whole summer, of the whole offseason, basically once NBA free agency is over. And I think it's what the fans would love to see. And I don't think that this would ever happen. But I think it's a really cool idea. It's something me and Coach Sass came up with. And I think it would make the whole season just so much more fun because you wouldn't have these weeks where it's no one's playing anyone it'd be like each week would be rivalry games and great matchups and would make the tv executives really struggle with what games are going to be on at what time and what's truly going to be the prime time game and and what's not and i think it would be awesome and i hope that someday that this comes to fruition but until then you know me coach sass and i can keep texting about it and, and hoping it will come true, and I think it's it's a good idea because because it just if if we want these best matchups in the playoffs, like why don't we just make each week super exciting? Like we all love when Notre Dame plays at Georgia, like we love when these teams do this. When LSU plays Texas, when Auburn plays Oregon, we love these matchups. Why don't we just make it every week? No one likes watching. Alabama beat Ole Miss by 50 when Ole Miss clearly isn't ready or good enough to, to really compete with them. So why don't we just send them out and let teams and let Alabama compete with teams who can compete with them? I don't know. I think it's a good idea, and hopefully it will happen because this past week college football, yeah, there, there were some good games. Florida-Auburn was a good matchup. It was a brutal game. But it was also like Alabama didn't play, Clemson didn't play. Uh, there's just, you know... LSU played Utah State. Like, okay, it's hard to get really amped up for for that one. It just, you know, as, as a fan, I'm I'm always thinking in, in the fans' interest first, and and I think that that's what the fans would want. So, so I'm going to take a quick break now. When I come back, I'm going to I'm going to talk a little bit about playoff baseball and one trend that that I've noticed that that I've really really loved and and I hope continues going forward. baseball going on i'm actually recording this sunday night during the dodgers uh nationals game where being in in the same way i think so dodgers are playing at the nationals tonight and the nationals bring in patrick corbin in relief now for those who don't know patrick corbin was the star free agent of this offseason Start pitching free agent, excuse me. And he turned down the Yankees. He turned down a bunch of other teams and chose to sign with the Nationals. He's a very, very good starting pitcher, left-handed, young. And he came in relief tonight against the Dodgers. 
And even though he got absolutely just, just dismantled by the Dodgers, he gave up like six runs and only got two outs. I kind of love when these starting pitchers come in in relief in the playoffs because it just proves just how exciting and how each game truly means so much to all these guys because managers are really managing each game to win that individual game where it's they're not worried about the next day like they are in the regular season or worrying about 162 they're literally just worrying like if we don't win this game tonight it won't really matter what we do tomorrow being down 2-1 like if we're up 2-1 we'll worry about tomorrow when when we get there we got to win tonight that's kind of the the mentality that that these managers are are going with nowadays, and I absolutely love it because because we used to see this all the time in in game sevens or just other uh, elimination games where the manager would say, you know, everyone is is available, and even though they said everyone was available, we didn't really always believe that everyone truly was available. But then things, you know, really started to happen. So thinking back to as late as 1995, just, just think about how rare it was. So Randy Johnson comes in in relief, helps the Mariners win, win the, the, the ALDS against the Yankees. And going into 2001 in the World Series, Randy Johnson comes in in, in Game 7 to get an out, and Randy Johnson pitched the night before, you know? Like... That was unbelievable. But again, those were elimination games. In 2004, well, and unfortunately, one of the worst moments in Yankees history when the Red Sox are coming back from their 3-0 deficit in Game 7, Terry Francona puts Pedro Martinez in, even with the big lead, at Yankee Stadium. The Red Sox were comfortably winning that game. They didn't really need to put Pedro in, but they did it anyway. And I think besides just the worries about the demons because Pedro had gone too long the year before and him at Yankee Stadium and the who your, who's your daddy thing and all that. But I think just from an objective, just baseball fan who didn't have a rooting interest in that game, thought it was awesome. Like, don't we want the best players, the Pedro Martinez, the Randy Johnsons, the names we'll talk about, in a couple minutes here, but like the Mass and Wilmarners, Clayton Kershaw's the best pitchers to pitch in the most important moments and the most important games. Like it's great that these teams have these great relievers. And yeah, it's fun watching this reliever that you don't really have heard of now. We come in and pump 98 and, and get you an inning. But I also think it's kind of fun to go see Patrick Corbin come in in relief because it's the postseason. It shows how much it matters to these guys that He's willing to take upon a different role and sacrifice himself for the team where he was probably going to start game four for the Nats. And now that that's in doubt because he probably threw too many pitches tonight. And I, I just love it that, that these guys are coming in. They're sacrificing themselves and their traditional role and their routines and all this stuff for the team to win that specific game and when you look at the last three to four years in the major league playoffs 
going back to well, really five years. So Bumgarner comes out. Bumgarner has like the best postseason I have ever seen, and maybe anyone's ever seen out of out of a pitcher in 2014, leading the Giants to a championship. Bumgarner pitches, starts and wins two games in the World Series, then comes out and throws five scoreless innings in relief where he allows one hit up until two outs in the bottom ninth when Alex Gordon hits that ball to left field and it gets away from the left fielder and he might have been able to score on the inside of the park home run. But Bumgarner allows two base runners in five innings after after literally pitching in game five. So he's on two days rest. He comes in in a one-run game and gets 14 guys out in a row after giving up the, the leadoff batter. That's just incredible. Incredible. Because the Giants won that game 3-2. to two. Bumgarner on two days rest after being, in nowadays terms, we wonder about, is he being overworked? Is he throwing too many pitches? He wins the game. He wins the World Series. He goes five innings. Bruce Bochy said, I have the best pitcher on the planet right now, and I'm going to use him. And Bumgarner, to his credit, said, because he was only focused on the win and winning it for his team, and said, absolutely, absolutely, Skipper, whatever it takes. You know, I'm sure he wasn't planning on going five innings, but that's what it took to win the World Series. You go to 2016, Cubs-Indians, Game 7. John Lester comes out of the bullpen. Wasn't, you know, he pitched well, wasn't 100% perfect. But if you're a Cubs fan and, and you see John Lester, obviously you're worried about the curse and everything like, like, like that, but I would have a lot more confidence in John Lester, your ace coming into pitch in the most important game of the season, than... Whoever's coming out of that bullpen probably besides Aroldis Chapman. And it's funny enough, Chapman was the one who gave up the home run to Rajai Davis to tie the game. And the guy who retired the, who made the, the last out was because they went to, to Carl Edward. So then the Cubs go to Mike Montgomery. The Cubs go to Mike Montgomery. You know, some guy no one ever heard of. And probably terrified all the Cubs, all the Cubs fans. This is a guy who had zero career saves. You know, zero career saves, and was generally a starter. He was a guy who would give spot starts for the Cubs, and he comes in. Guess the last couple outs, Cubs win the World Series last year. Dodgers, Dodgers, Red Sox, Chris Sale gets the final outs of the World Series. Chris Sale was the starting pitcher in game one. Chris Sale recorded the first out and he recorded the last out. That dude's a winner. And I hate the Red Sox, but that dude is a winner. And no one, I think, gives Clayton Kershaw enough credit for going out multiple times throughout his career and coming out of the bullpen in the biggest moments of the playoffs. Because he did it in that game against the Red Sox as well, in the World Series, where even though it was in vain because they end up losing, uh, he came out and pitched and recorded the final outs of the Red Sox for the Dodgers in that, in that appearance. 
So he's done other things as well where he's come out of the bullpen in the NLCS against Milwaukee recording the final outs. And I'm, he also did it against the Nationals. He comes out game five and gets the final outs. I mean, Clayton Kershaw's postseason legacy is very mixed because he's had some unsuccessful starts. But that's also because we're saying he's the best pitcher of his generation and is a Hall of Famer, and he hasn't, like, he's never carried the Dodgers to the World Series. But, you know, he still, just the fact that he's willing to come out in relief is what I really admire about him. And it truly is exceptional because he is the best pitcher of his generation and he's willing to do that, which is incredible. And so I'm looking forward to seeing this postseason how many teams are willing to do this because, yes, Patrick Corbin got shelled tonight. But Max Scherzer came on in the eighth in in game two and was awesome. <laughs> Just absolutely awesome. So I think it's a really good strategy. You want to have your best pitchers in the most high leverage situations. And I think that's what you have to do. And, and if your best pitcher is a starting pitcher and he's available and he's willing to do it, as really you should be because it is the playoffs and you got, you got to win a championship. That's the goal. I think you got to do it. And I'm really looking forward because I think it just makes the baseball playoffs so much more fun where imagine if Justin Verlander comes on in relief and it's just terrifying as a fan of the opposing team. It's like, oh my God, we just battled through this really good start and now we have to go face Verlander again. Like if in Game Seven the the Astros, you know, let's just say a hypothetical Game Five Rays Astros, Garrett Cole pitches the first seven innings of Game, let's say six innings of of Game Five, and then Verlander comes out of the, out of the bullpen and Verlander gives you the next two innings. Like that's absolutely terrifying, and just makes it so much more fun. So we have a good week planned for you guys. Hopefully, Kelly will be back this week. I have to double-check with him. He's still super, super busy. And we took took a little long for, for me to do this one because, hey, I was a little busy, too, here here at school. It's a midterms week. And for me to be like Kelly and, and be employed one day, I got to, you know, we got to do well on on midterm week. So look, happy that that's all over for, for right now. And looking forward to talking some NFL football early this week might have a couple special guests one is definitely going to be coach sass later in the week to do another college football special which was just awesome the last time we did it so we're going to bring him back on to do some more college football and may have a couple surprises for for you guys but as always just want to thank everyone for listening take care and make it a great day